Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. In your Bibles, take a Bible if you have one with you. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew in front of you. We'd love to have you actually pull out a copy of Scripture this morning. And if you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. We're going to be going for the next couple weeks to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. We're in a series entitled Ecclesia. And um, ecclesia is simply the Greek word for church. It, it means church. It can be translated a witnessing community. Um, and so... It is a, um, it's the kind of the thought and the theme that we are talking about over this next several weeks together. And one of the reasons I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2 is because the book of Ephesians talks a lot about the church. It's a repeated word that happens multiple times in there. And so it's important for us to understand why is the Apostle Paul referencing the church and what is the context and what is he doing by setting this groundwork of, of, of what Jesus has already set. So really Paul is building on the groundwork that is Christ when he talks about the church. Ephraim, would you put the slide up for me please? Um, just so I know where I'm headed with my everything. Awesome. Uh, could you go to the title slide? For some reason, it's not on the back, so I don't know if there's a, a way that you could do that um, with some help there. Thank you. Um, so we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. Now, you'll also notice um, that I have some fun toys with me here, because if we're going to talk about building, we might as well talk about one of the funnest building blocks and also one of the things that is so painful when you step on it in a carpet or you step on it on a hard floor and that is everyone's favorite the lego um i need three volunteers to help me out in a couple minutes here i saw a nolan buyer hand up really quick that was really fast like that was like boom like <laughs> any any over here Okay, I see two Ifords over here. Okay, so um, you guys come on down over here. I will tell you what to do in just a minute, okay? But I want to prep you. So you can, you can hang either right there for a minute or you can come down right now and just hang. And I'll tell you what to do. Because we're going to do something that has to do with building today. Because Christ is building his church. And what better way to learn about that than through Legos, right? Um, so we are talking about this church that Jesus is building. Now when we talk about the church, when we talk about the ecclesia, it means assembly, community, or congregation. And one of the ways that we can understand this um, in, in its importance for us is really just found um, in scripture and then it's summarized. One of the great places that it's summarized for me is our church statement of faith. And so I want to share what we believe about who the church is. All right, It's a who. It's not a building. It's a people. Here's what we've said in our statement of faith about the church. We believe that the local church is a company of regenerate persons. That means that they have placed their faith in Jesus the Messiah and that they have been um, made alive through the work of the Holy Spirit. Regenerate persons, alive people. Jesus uses the phrase born again in the Gospel of John. Regenerate persons committed to meeting together, baptized on a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, united in covenant for worship, instruction, the observance of the Christian ordinance, and for such service as the gospel requires, recognizing Christ as their supreme Lord and lawgiver and taking his word as their only and sufficient rule of faith and practice in all matters of conscience and religion. All right, that's a big mouthful. Simply put, all that together, the church is a company of people. And now there's the corporate church that we've talked about. That's, that's all believers in Jesus the Messiah from the time of Acts chapter 2 until now. Um, people who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who've been given a mission from Jesus, who've been called to meet together and to build up one another in faith. There's that general um, usage of the term ecclesia in the Bible. Uh, about 150, 115 times the word ecclesia is used in the scriptures. And about 20 of those are talking about the church as a whole throughout the world. About 95 of the instances, though, when it talks about the church, it refers to a local 
community, whether it's the church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth, the church in Philippi, the churches of the areas of uh, Revelation that we studied last year. And it's, and it's these churches who are gatherings of people. They're not buildings. They're not organizations. They're organisms who are in, in the sense of people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit to meet together, who recognize Christ as their supreme law and lawgiver, who place their hope in Christ alone. Their salvation is in Jesus alone. And his word becomes the supreme rule of faith and practice in all matters of conscience and religion. In other words, they may live in the Middle East, or they may live in Australia, or they may live in North America, but where they really live is they're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. When we talk about the church, I always want us to remember the broad, um, because I also want us to separate the broad from the particular. What I'm going to have you guys do is I want, you have three um, Lego things over there, and you have a couple boxes of Legos. What I want you to do is I know that the church is not a building, but I want you to construct a building of your choosing with the Legos provided, and your building is going to represent churches around the world, okay? The building is not the church. The people are the church, but you'll get my point, right? So start building something, because this idea of building is so foundational to what um, Paul uses in his letters, that, that we are God's building, that God is building up for himself a holy habitation in which the Spirit of God dwells. All right, we're going to get to the text here as we look at this. Um, Look with me, please, before I ask you to stand. Um, notice how Paul talks about the church in Ephesians chapter 1. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. It's talking about God's power in Christ. He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand of the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power, dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He's, he's talking about Jesus the Messiah. He's been raised up, and there is no one else like him. And it says, and he put everything under his feet, which means he is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, all-just. Notice what he says. And he appointed him, Jesus, as head over everything for the church. Right? So who is in charge of the church? Jesus is. He's the head of the church. Um, he appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, right? Body, you think of body, you think of different parts. You think of parts that are tied together. Notice what it says. The fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So when we think about the church, Paul begins this message of the church in Ephesians by saying, you're a body. You're a people who are joined together. You're unique. You're distinctly different from one another. But there is something that brings you together in the church, namely the one who is above you, Jesus himself. Turn over to the next page if you need to, to go to chapter 2, verse 11. And what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you if you're able to please rise with me in body or in spirit. I'm going to ask our Lego creators to go ahead and hit pause while we read the scripture together. And then you guys can get back to what you're doing because I love what I hear over there. Um, read, read along with me, please. You silently. I'll read it aloud from the HCSB here where it says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You're without hope. You were without God in the world. But now... In the Messiah Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new, one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. 
When the Messiah came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for today. And God, I I pray as we study your word that you would be our teacher. I, I just recognize my words in and of their own vocabulary and syntax and content are nothing without your spirit to lead and to guide me and to lead and to guide us into truth. And so God, we come depending on you for what we need today for life and for godliness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right, so today's idea, as we think about this idea of the church, as Christ being the head of the church, who is his body, we're talking about the church being made up of believers who are being built together to be God's dwelling in the Spirit. God's dwelling in the Spirit. Um, this, this would have been a very um, unexpected thing for the people of Paul's day and for the Jews of Jesus' day. That, that those who were far off would be brought near and those who were near would be brought near. Um, when we look at the book of Ephesians, one of the things that we find in Ephesians is, is that um, what's going on here is that Paul is describing the process of going from being a pagan, uh, a a far-off pagan, um, to becoming part of a Roman colony. That's that's the process that they would have probably seen here. Ephesus is a very Romanized colony. Um, They understand what it means to have the peace and the power of Rome. Ephesus is known for some amazing um, works of art and some amazing buildings that were built out of literally mountains of rock that were brought in and placed in such beautiful array. You come into the harbor of Ephesus in the ancient period, you could not have missed one of the wonders of the world, the temple that was there. A temple to a pagan god, mind you. Um, So you have, though, different people coming from different backgrounds. And Paul is talking about this, using this kind of language. Um, one of the things, this, this photo is from around 200 AD, and, and it's a figurine of a Roman soldier mistreating a barbarian, because if you were a barbarian, if, if you were not just a pagan, but like a pagan pagan, you were someone who would be a servant, you were someone who would be put away, you were someone who would not be honored as being uh, human in any significant way. And so you'd be treated poorly by the Romans. What's happening in the church is that Paul is using this kind of same metaphor, talking about those who are near and those who are far. He's using it both in a Roman sense, but he's also using it in a Jewish sense to talk about how people come into God's kingdom, how people come into God's kingdom. And he's specifically describing how does God make a group of Gentiles part of the church? And how does he make a group of Jewish people bring in this body of Gentiles and recognize them as brother, recognize them as sister, recognize them as friend? In the ancient world, there would be hard separations between various classes. Separations would be distinguished by um, male and female. Separations could be distinguished by political class or by how much money you have, by where your house is. It could be um, set up based upon what ethnic origin you come from. And one of the amazing things that Paul does here in just a couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 2 is he says, those who have been brought near by Christ, I'm paraphrasing greatly, those who have been brought near by Christ, they come into a family. 
the old has gone away and the new is what counts. And this would have been shocking to the Jews of the time. This would have been shocking to the Gentiles of the time because you keep your class distinction. You keep your separateness unless someone is able to either buy Roman citizenship and come into it, or if they are able to serve in the military and become a Roman citizen that way. If, if you're not Jewish and you want to become Jewish, there was a process for becoming a proselyte to Judaism. For a male, it involved circumcision. If you hadn't been circumcised, it involved taking on your self-keeping of the commandments and coming underneath the teaching of the Torah and, and becoming a part of that. So there's a whole process for people to become something that they were not. But here Paul is describing a different process for how people come in to the kingdom. Not, not different from any other process of people coming into the kingdom, but different from what the people expected. One of the biggest clashes in the early church was how do Jews and Gentiles get along together now that they're both in Messiah? What does that mean? And a lot of the New Testament is actually written to address that, including this. Notice what happens here in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, verse 11, he's talking to Gentiles. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised. In other words, the circumcised, the Jewish people were looking at Gentiles saying, you're uncircumcised, you're not part of us. Like, you are separate from. There's a distinction. And this was felt deeply in the first century. Um, here's a photo of the um, Temple Mount. And right here, uh, you have the whole temple right here. Here's the different parts of the temple going up in the center of your screen. On the left side, you have the court of the Gentiles. Also on the right, you have the court of the Gentiles. There's also a court for women. What, we, what I want to show to you is there's a small balustrade, and I'll, f I'll focus in in just a minute, minute here, um, that goes on either side of the temple proper. So this is the whole temple mount around the actual uh, different parts of the sanctuary. Um, the, the, the different areas where people would go in and there would be different places where the priests could go. There's one place, the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go only once a year on Yom Kippur, which is actually coming up uh, tomorrow, I believe it is. Um, but there's these walls. And on this side, on this photo on your left, it's the same photos on your right, but we have highlighted um, this small um, balustrade is what they call it. It's about this high. And the reason it was there, it was, it was there to separate the court of the Gentiles from the temple proper. In other words, if you were a Gentile, you could go into the temple mount, but you could only go into the places that were court of Gentiles and outward. In fact, when Paul gets in trouble, he didn't really do anything wrong, but people thought that, they, that he took a Gentile up into the temple for various sacrifices. Um, he gets in trouble because they thought that's what they did, and that was such a a no-no in that time. In fact, Josephus, who is a first century Jewish historian, writes this about that area. He says, no foreigner should go within that sanctuary for that second court of the temple was called the sanctuary. We actually have archaeological evidence of a plate that says, if you go past this balustrade, this wall right here, and you are not a Jew, you could be executed. That's a big deal. Like you walk past this wall and it's not going to go well for you. This is the kind of separation that was felt between Jew and Gentile. And that's what Paul is referencing, I believe, here in Ephesians chapter 2. He, there's the uncircumcised, then there's the circumcised. And he says at that time, in verse 12, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope. You were without God in the world. In other words, if you were a Gentile, the only path you had was to come to, God, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by faith. Now, we have instances of becoming a proselyte in the Hebrew Bible. A, a proselyte of faith, not a proselyte just of going through the motions. Think about Rahab, for example, in, in the book of Joshua. She, she says, she, she's a pagan, she's a Canaanite, and she says, I believe in your God, and she sticks her neck out in faith for the spies who come into the land. 
we, we studied the book of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite, and she takes upon herself, she says to Naomi, her mother-in-law, no, I will go where you, are, you will go. I will stay where you will stay. Your people will be my people. And she says, your God will be my God. We have examples of people coming in to um, faith in Yahweh in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, but they involve oftentimes them becoming actual Israelites and becoming part of the covenant community. When Jesus comes, he comes to bring atonement once for all for all who would trust in him, regardless of whether they are Jew or they are Gentile. And so this early part, they're going, hang on a second, what does it mean then for them to step into this covenant community? Do they step in as a proselyte to Judaism? Some of the people wondered. Do they step in as a Gentile? What does this look like? This image of a wall that that, that divides was so poignant to anyone who went up to Jerusalem because if you were Gentile, no matter how much you wanted to go into the, the temple, into the sanctuary, you couldn't go. Notice what Paul says. But now in Messiah Jesus, this is verse 13 of Ephesians 2, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. Far away and brought near, by the way, is a rabbinic term that was often used to describe those who were far away were those who were not from the tribes of Israel. And those who were near were those who are included within the commonwealth of Israel. But notice how they are brought near. You in Messiah Jesus, who are far away, have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. The once for all atoning sacrifice for sin. Right? It, it, it's not through um, becoming a Jew that someone comes near to God. It's by coming through the blood of Jesus and coming underneath his forgiveness, his atonement, his cleansing. Notice what he says, verse 14. For he is our peace. When you think of the word peace, think of the word wholeness, shalom, that idea there. Where there was once strife, there is now a, a, a wholeness moving forward. He is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. Right? So he's taking two groups who without faith in the Messiah Jesus have no hope. If you're an observant Jew and you don't have faith in the Messiah Jesus, you are without hope. If you are a Gentile from whatever stripe you come, you are with, and, and you don't have faith in the Messiah Jesus, you are without hope. He says, I'm taking two groups who need the hope of the atoning blood of Messiah for their sins, and I'm making them one. Now, it's interesting. He says um, here, he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. When, he, when the Messiah came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you or far away peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to one spirit to, by one spirit, to the Father. When you think of access, think of the way of approach, right? If you were to come and you were to approach the temple, you would come in a certain gate, you would come into another gate, you would come into another gate. There'd be one way to get in there. If you could get in, you'd get in. If you couldn't, you couldn't. He's saying here, regardless of your background, regardless of your past, regardless of whatever that looks like, when you come to faith in the Messiah Jesus, you have access to God. You have a path to God. Now, it is an exclusive path, but it's also very inclusive. It's exclusive in the sense that what Jesus says is, I am the way. He says, I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's ex exclusivity. You can't get there through good works. You can't get there through religion. You can't get there by trying your best in order to make yourself look good before God. Can't do it. There's only one way. You come to Jesus who offers grace. Um, but when you come to Jesus and he offers grace, or we, let me put it this way, that's the exclusive part. The inclusive part is Jesus says, I have come to bring redemption to everyone who will trust in me.
right? On, on the one hand, on the one hand, it's an exclusive message because there's no other way to the Father except through the Son, Jesus. But on the other hand, it's very inclusive because God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his Son, his one and only Son, to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins and for mine. When you come to faith and trust in Jesus the Messiah, that invitation is to you today. When you come to faith in him, he says, come in to my house. Come in to my family. Come into the work that I am doing in this world. Now, I talked a little bit about how there can be differences within the body. Um, and, and differences aren't bad. But when we think about the church, we have to remember that the main things are the plain things in Scripture, right? When we think about the things that unify the church, we're thinking about who is Christ? What has he done? Who is God the Father? We're thinking about what does it mean to be a man or to be a woman made in the image of God? What does it mean to have salvation by faith alone through Christ alone? There's big core pillars for the church that we must be ever vigilant to know and to proclaim. Within the body of Christ, there's a whole bunch of different expressions. At the, in the ancient time, you had Jews and Gentiles. It, this is a study for a different day, but it's interesting that in many respects, um, the biblical writers don't tell Jewish people to stop being Jewish. They tell them to put their faith in the Messiah. So you could be a Jew and you could, you could celebrate Shabbat every week as you had done all of your life and you could do it now to the praise of the Messiah's glory. He doesn't diminish the distinctions that are here. Rather, he says, you all have access to the same house. You come in by the same way and now we celebrate together as Jew and Gentile, as slave and free, as male and female, what it means to be made alive in Jesus Christ. There's reconciliation that has occurred here. There's peace that results from this. And he says this in verse 19, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but your fellow citizens with the saints, your members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. And when Paul describes the church here in Ephesians, he's going to use building language. So he got built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets on Christ who is the cornerstone. And that word cornerstone there could mean cornerstone or it could, be, or it could mean copestone or capstone. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But he says the whole building being put together or being fitted together by him. In other words, the, the buildings being fitted together by God grows into a holy sanctuary. And he says of the church, you're being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. As we think about this um, idea of building, there's a model of the ancient, uh, of the second temple period. Here's the model of what um, Israel would have seen as they went through um, the wilderness wanderings. This is actually a one-to-one -one replica model of the tabernacle. It's in a place called Timnah Park in the southern part of Israel. And when we were there years ago, it was incredibly hot, just like 120 degrees. And you went into the tent and it was like baking at 140. So we didn't stand there super long. But it's really cool to kind of see this is what would have existed um, in the presence of the tribes of Israel as they're going through their wilderness wanderings. When you think about God's dwelling, um, God says in Exodus, he says, build for me a sanctuary that I may dwell in your midst. Because the movement of God ever since the garden, when everything was um, in perfect shalom, and God walked with his people, after sin happened, the movement of God after sin was always to come down because he wants to be amongst his people. 
We see this as he comes down and he meets with various people in the Hebrew Bible. We see this as he comes to a people and he covenants to live with them and to be their God and for them to be his people. And Israel says, yes, we will do, we will hear. And so they have this, this temple or this tabernacle going with them wherever they go in the center of their camp. When Jesus comes, it says here that he is the cornerstone. Jesus says this in the Gospel of Matthew. Paul says this in the book of Ephesians, that Jesus is this cornerstone. When you think about a cornerstone, one of the ways that you can think about it is, is one of those important first laid pieces that holds everything together. This is actually highlighted stones at the Temple Mount. Each one of these stones are carved uniquely. They weigh about 50 tons. Now, according to the Torah, they had to be chiseled off-site, then brought onto the Temple Mount quietly. So just imagine the people building up this temple. And these huge, massive stones are laid. What, one of the things you'd want to do is you'd want to have a cornerstone, a, a, a stone that would set down into the ground, and on it or from it, everything else would be built. Paul uses this language here. Jesus himself is the cornerstone, and then, he, and then built on top of that is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So imagine in Lego world here, you have a big, it's not near as grand as if you were there, if we could go there and look at the actual temple, but it'll work for today. Um, you got this yellow Lego piece, and you place it down, and you want to build a, a building here. How's the building coming over here, by the way? I like it. There's some cool stuff going on there. Um, something is laid down, he says. And then the apostles and the prophets, they start to build on it. You think about the apostles and prophets. You think about the people, these, these cornerstones of the church, these people who, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave instruction and teaching and guidance to that early church and to the Jewish people throughout um, the last several thousand years. The idea of cornerstone is absolutely necessary for the beginning of a foundation of the building. It always goes back to Jesus. This could also be translated capstone or, or, or copestone. When you think about the capstone or the copestone, you think about what is put on top. So here you have uh, stones in the Temple Mount. Here you have a copy of the Herodian Temple model that's in Jerusalem. So this is a rebuilt of, the, of Herod's Temple in the, in the first century AD. Here you have uh, a recreation of the, a recreation of the Temple of Artemis in Turkey. Now the reason I show this to you is because we are in Ephesus when Paul is writing this letter. I mean, Paul's writing this actually from prison, but he's writing to the church that is in Ephesus. And this would have been a structure. This is a recreation. This isn't the original. They haven't, they, they don't have all the parts of the original. Um, this was one of the seven greatest wonders of the world. Um, and when you landed in Ephesus, you saw this, and you knew what it was. It was a temple to Artemis. You go in there, you'd offer sacrifices, if you're going to do that, to Artemis. Everything was about this God. In fact, there's a big riot in the book of Acts because the followers of Jesus had, through their witness to the culture around them, had brought people into the kingdom through sharing the message, and God brings them into the, into the kingdom. And the people who make idols for this temple got a little perturbed because it was sapping all of their finances because they couldn't sell their idols because you had all these people becoming Christians who were laying down their idols, getting rid of their idols, and worshiping the Lord Jesus and, and God the Father. You have this dominating the culture of Ephesus. The reason I tell you this is because if you want to understand the idea of copestone or capstone, if you were an Ephesian, what mattered, I mean, the, 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 the base of this mattered. It, it took multiple mountains, one scholar says, in order to get the rock quarried in order to build this thing. But equally important for them with the base was what was put on top. If we were to look at archaeological remains of around Ephesus, you'd find that they'd have all these top parts that were intricately drawn, or drawn, that were carved. They cared about the aesthetic on top as much as they cared about what the solid, solidity, what, how solid it was on the bottom. The idea is that um, to the Ephesian, they may have heard 
Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the rock on which everything is placed. They also may have heard he is the one who fills all things in every way. He, he, he's the one who is the prize. He is the one who, when you look at the church, you see Jesus. That may be behind what Paul is trying to say here. And so you have, back to this temple, or this tabernacle model here, you have Paul laying this foundation of a structure where Jesus himself is the cornerstone, um, the apostles and prophets are built onto it, but where every believer in the Messiah Jesus has a part to play in the rest of that building. So imagine you have a cornerstone here. I'm sure I'm not near as cool of a Lego maker as these guys are over here. But then you have, you know, you have the apostles, you have the prophets, and just for the sake of time, we're going to say there's our, there's our prophets, there's our apostles. And then you have a person who's a part of the Ephesian church lays down his brick within the kingdom. You have a person who is a part of the Philippian church and they lay down their brick within the kingdom. You have a person who's from the Jerusalem church and they lay down their brick because they're part of that kingdom. What they're doing is they're saying, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that life can be found in his name and I'm adding by faith, I'm adding my life to the structure that God is building, right? Think of church in the broad way, but now think of church in the individual way or, or in the um, particular way. You think about that Ephesian church, and there's probably several churches in, Ephesian, in Ephesus because it was a big city, and so you would probably have multiple expressions of worship within there. Some that might have had more of a Jewish background, some that might have more of a Gentile background. But go to the church that meets on Main in Ephesus, and Joe is adding his brick, and um, Fred is adding his brick, and Allison is adding her brick. I'm just making these names up, by the way, just so you know. And uh, I need a good name. Someone give me a name. I didn't hear that. Bob, there we go. Bob, that works. They're all adding their bricks to the building that Christ is forming. We could take this to us and we could say, am I part of the church? Have I placed my brick a part of Christ? Have, have I seeded my faith in who he is and what he has done and what his word says? And then I can say, well, you know, if I've done that, I, I actually become a part of a structure. I, I become a part of a family, a body, a community. I, I, I become a part of something that God is dwelling in. When you think about this picture up on your screen, this is a tabernacle model where the presence of God dwelt the people of Israel would go out and they would see Moses from their tents, you can imagine. They could see Moses walking down to this tabernacle to meet with Yahweh. Moses would go in. He'd come out and his face would be glowing, the scripture says, because he'd met with Jesus, because he met with the Father, because he'd heard God's word. He'd been encouraged by God's spirit. He comes out to give teaching and instruction now Moses could go in there uh, later um, as things were more settled and codified into a practice. There were certain times where certain people could go in there, but only certain people could access. We go back to this idea of access. When Paul says we all have access to Christ, it means that you could go in as a follower of Jesus, as a member of his kingdom, you could walk into the very place in which God dwelt. You couldn't do that in the past. In fact, um, that, would not be, that would not be good. <laughs> that would not be good at all. But here's the most amazing thing to me that God says. 
He says, the whole building being put together by him, being made one, being, being fitted by him, grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. This word for sanctuary in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, is a very important word. Uh, in the ancient period, as I showed you, we have different kinds of temples. We have Egyptian temples, we have Greek temples, we have Roman temples, we have the temple in Jerusalem. So temples were um, commonly seen everywhere you went practically. And different um, temples had different um, rooms, but they all kind of pattern after the same thing. There would be the outer courts. You could see that here in this photo. You'd have the outer courts there. And then you'd go into the holy place. And that would be the place where the priest would go to minister service to whatever God whom they were worshiping. And then you had the most holy place. Now, the, the holy place is known, let me just make sure I give these to you rightly. Um, the, the, the court is known as the Timonos. The hypostyle hall or the priest court is known as the Proneos. Um, the Holy of Holies, in Hebrew, it's known as Kedosh Kedoshim. It's the place where the deity dwelt. Um, in Greek, it is the word neos. Can you say neos? When he says this in Ephesians chapter 2, it literally says this. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy neos in the Lord. You are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. To the ancient hearer, they would have known the distinction between the different parts of a temple. And so when Paul says, you are the naos of God, which he says indirectly here, and he says directly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 3. What he's saying is, you are the place where God has chosen to place himself. Now, the other thing that's important to know is when he says you here, in English, we uh, do a pretty poor job at distinguishing between the singular, singular you and the plural you. The you here is plural. So when he says, you are the temple in which God dwells, he's saying, as our good southern friends would say, y'all. Why do I share this with you? Because the naos of God is in the people of God. Now, that does mean that there is an individual expression of that, right? Because you're built, you're fashioned together, you're being fitted to be a part of God's family, to be part of God's dwelling, and that's an active process, by the way. You are in the family, and you're learning how to exist as an orange square or exist as a brown double square. I don't know what you call these things. These are Legos for everyone on the live stream who's listening to me and doesn't see it. Paul says... You are the place, people of God, in which God wants to live and does live. We should never let that simple truth leave our minds because as we exist as a community, we exist to be the dwelling place of God on earth. So, when we sing and we declare his praise, we're doing so as God's dwelling place. When we gather for teaching and instruction, we do so because we're God's dwelling place. Last week, I, I told you, and, um, before you teach a child to love God, you must first teach a child that God loves them. I wonder if we could modify that and just say, um, before you teach a church to walk as a church, you have to teach them that they are the naos of God. Because God's within his people. 
And where his people are gathered, they gather in his name. I gotta bring this to a close. But a couple years ago, I went to, I uh, had the privilege of going with some of you actually to North Africa to visit some dear brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ uh, in, in the country in North Africa. This country is 90% Muslim, right? So their experience of being the kingdom of, of priests over there is very different than our experience perhaps over here. One of the things that they said to me, our friend said to me as soon as we landed was, we are so grateful you are here. It means so much that you came. And the reason they said that was because part of the church had showed up to celebrate the Lord with them in a place where great darkness abounds. One of the things that I experienced on that trip was that um, there's a lot of difference <laughs> They had people who were um, native to the country we were in. They had people who were expatriates from outside the country. They had people who spoke like a crazy amount of languages. So you might hear Arabic or you might hear um, English or you might hear French or you might hear uh, the other English, the British English, you know. You're like, what's, what's going on? Or South African English. But what was amazing to me is like their, their pastor came from one Orthodox faith tradition. Their elder chairman came from another Orthodox faith tradition, and their other pastor came from another Orthodox faith tradition. But what tied them together was not their difference. It was Jesus. And so when we would hear these dear ones pray, they were beseeching the heart of God. Actually, I have an audio recording on my phone of them praying for you while we were over there, saying, Lord, thank you for allowing this group to come here and to minister to us. We pray for their families. We pray for their church. There was a sense of communalness within the kingdom. But there was also a sense of um, that they were part of God's dwelling place in that country to be salt and to be light because they didn't see themselves as people who went to church. They saw themselves as the people in whom the presence of God resided for his purpose. And as we close, I, I ask you this. Are you a member of God's church? Are you a member of a local church? Do you regularly invest your life and invest your heart with the people of God. Because it's through our interactions with one another that we can build one another up, that we can speak to one another in, in grace and in truth. I remember years ago, someone had to talk with me about something that I did wrong. And they came up to me and they said, hey, I gotta talk to you. And I said, okay. <laughs> and um, they said, when you did this, it did this and it caused this. And I wouldn't have known if someone hadn't come to tell me. And I said, I'm so, 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 so sorry. Will you please forgive me? We're great friends to this day, by the way. Um, but I appreciated that within the body, someone cared enough to say, can I love you with the truth? I've been able, we have been able to experience the richness of the body of Christ so, so much. And one of the reasons you enter into this messiness that is called the church and this beautiful messiness is because God is forming a people for himself. To uplift one another, to encourage one another, but also to be his expression of love and grace and mercy to a very broken world. I know I say that a lot lately, but it deeply matters that we never lose sight of the mission God has given us as disciples. Over the course of this next year, we're gonna become more intentional with how we express that, how God wants to express that in and through us as a church. Um, but my encouragement to you here today is a couplefold. Are you a part of the church? Do you view yourself and do you experience the joy of being a participant in God's building? <clears throat> Are you priests in the house of God? Do you, do you enter in to serve? Do you enter into love? Do you enter into pray? Do you enter into build up in the ways God would have you do? 
You guys have some awesome buildings over there. What I want you to do is as you finish those buildings, I want you to carefully take them out. We want to put them on a table out there. So you may not want to put that top on just yet because you're going to have to move it to the back. Here's what I want us to do. I've left Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, and I've left the apostles and the prophets. There's not 12 of each, but it'll be okay. Um, what I want to invite you to do, I'm going to leave this out there. And as you go throughout your day today, as you walk past, I'm going to leave some Lego pieces out there. And if you're a member of God's church, if you're a member of, if you're part of this church, I want to invite you take a Lego piece and start to build the building. This building's not done. It'll take a much more skilled Lego person than me to finish it. Really, it's going to take every person whom God calls <laughs> to finish it. But we are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Are you building? Are you building that? Pray with me, please. Father, I, I thank you for the truth that we are the naos of God. We are the holy of holies. We are the place closest to you. And God, we are in the naos because you have stepped down to this world to tabernacle and to dwell amongst us and to dwell with us. God, as we go out into this world this week, remind us that you are with us. You're with us as individuals, but God, you are with us as a community here. You are building your church, Father. You are bringing people to love you. You're bringing people to faith and repentance. You're bringing people to know more about you, to grow in their walk with you. And God, we... We want to be ever more a part of that life transformation that you bring. As, you, as you've revealed throughout scripture, God, we have a part to play. And it starts first and foremost in our relationship with you. God, thank you that you have given us your word and that you've given us your spirit to understand your truth. God, would you deepen every single one of our lives this week in the knowledge of your truth? Father, would you deepen our collective understanding of the knowledge of who you are and how you want us to walk, both within our families and within this broader community called First Baptist Church. God, we want to delight in you this week. How easy it is to delight in the things of the world. How easy is it to delight in the things that we think will bring us pleasure. And that we might even experience pleasure in for some time. But God, you are joy. You are peace. You are the one who has reconciled us from being lost and dead in sin to being alive in Messiah Jesus. And for that, God, we are overwhelmed and we're grateful. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.